Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1151 in that Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, we are plugging away through our series that we've called Gifted, Walking in What We've Been Given, looking at the spiritual gifts, what the Bible calls spiritual gifts, which are things that God has given us to do, and they are the ways in which the Holy Spirit wants to work in us and through us in order to glorify the name of Jesus, to help spread the gospel, and to bless and encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you've missed any of these messages, they are all online. We have video and audio online, and you can check things out there. Our key verse has been 1 John 2.20, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have a gift from God. You are gifted by the Holy Spirit for something. And probably you have several gifts. I think most of us have kind of a different blend of gifts. But you have something from God that he has given you to do. And it's not just that he's assigned you to do something and said, go and do it. He wants to work in you and through you to do that. He wants to do this with you. And so we've been looking at the different gifts, and we are going to do another uh, list of gifts today that is called sometimes the manifestation gifts. And we have a few more gifts that we'll look at next week. But as we're talking talking about this, we are wanting you to learn a little more about how you're wired, how you're gifted by God, uh, and being able to understand yourself a little better, how he wants to partner with you, again, to glorify the name of Jesus, to spread the gospel, and to bless our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so as we go through these gifts, we are hopeful that you are starting to see some of yourself in there a little bit, and even as you see some of yourself in there, you're also going to see some gifts where you go, that is not me at all. I don't have an ounce of that in me. And that's all right, because all of the gifts are needed. Jesus was the only one who had all the gifts, and now he's taken all of the gifts, and he has sprinkled them amongst all of us. So you will get a little sprinkling of a few of them, but you don't have all of them. And so the ones that you have, you are meant to walk in, and the ones that you don't have, you are meant to lean on other people who do have those gifts. And we can take a lot of uh, guilt sometimes on ourselves when we're trying to kind of figure out who we are and what we're called to and why did God create us, and this expectation sometimes comes that we we need to be like other people who have certain gifts, and, and that's just not necessarily true. You're under no obligation to walk in a gift that you just don't have. That would be completely unfair and unreasonable. You are under no obligation to try and walk in a gift that you don't have. You are under a fairly large obligation to walk in the gifts that you do have. The world needs the gifts that God has put in your life. The church needs the gifts that God has put in your life. So we want to help you find them, start to learn about them, and start to develop them as we go through this. So let's take a look at our text today. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, page 1151 in the Pew Bible, and we are starting in verse 1. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So those are not the only gifts. We've obviously looked at other gifts as well in the New Testament, but this is one of the lists of gifts in the New Testament, and we sometimes call it the manifestation gifts. And that's not a name that the Bible gives them, but that's just uh, over 2,000 years of church history. We've given names to these different lists so that we can differentiate them. So these are sometimes called the manifestation gifts or the power gifts. And the word manifestation comes because Paul uses that word to describe them, that the, these gifts are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power. And so when we talk about spiritual giftings, we're not just talking about things that we could generate on our own by our, our natural inclinations or just kind of who we are and talents that we have. Uh, you know, we can do a certain amount on our own. But these are gifts where it's just undeniable that the power of God has shown up. Right? I can't heal anybody. I can't prophesy mysteries. But God shows up in these gifts. The Apostle Paul, a little bit earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, is talking to the church about how they got saved. And he says, when I came to you originally, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So he's saying, when I came and shared the gospel with you for the first time, you didn't come to Jesus because I'm such a great speaker. You didn't come to Jesus because I have all these good speaking techniques that I put together that were really convincing. He's saying, when I shared the gospel with you, it wasn't just about the words that I shared. There was a demonstration of the Spirit's power. God showed up. And when we read the book of Acts, we see this over and over again, this particular list of gifts that we are looking at today. We see a lot of those gifts at work, specifically in the book of Acts. And so when we look at the Bible, we don't often uh, really find a lot of formulas. We try to do that with the Bible. Just give me a formula that will work in all times and all scenarios, and it just seems really hard to do that. God does not confine himself to formulas overly well. So you could argue there are certain ones like, hey, believe in Jesus, get to heaven. That's a formula, I guess. But when you're trying to figure out how does God work and what is he up to, he just seems to be too big and too creative to break down to things of God always works this way all the time in every situation. Uh, he calls us to a relationship with him. And as we do that, we get to know him. And as we do that, we get to understand how he works more and more. That being said, if there is a formula in the book of Acts, it is this. The power of the Holy Spirit shows up in some way. Unbelievers see that and say, hey, what's that unusual thing that's just happened? Someone else says, hey, Jesus is the reason, and he's here to save you. And then people get saved by the thousands sometimes. If there is a formula in the book of Acts, it is that. This, there is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Jesus is presented as the reason for that demonstration of power. And people come to Jesus in, in amazing numbers in the book of Acts. The church just explodes and begins to spread around the world. And so just keep that in mind as we go through today. As we go through these different gifts, uh, these manifestation gifts, uh, the early church leaned on these gifts a lot. And they led people to Jesus like crazy. We today tend to lean a lot. I think on our strategies and our plans there's a million conferences and books and seminars and podcasts out there of, of how to 
be a better leader and how to have an evangelism strategy and how to expand your church and how to get involved in the community. And none of those things are a bad thing. You don't see a lot of conferences on how do we get a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that nothing that's happening can be attributed to just, well, we had some good ideas. But no, undeniably, God is at work at Meadowbrook Church. And that's why people are coming to Jesus, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So the downside of this series is that some of these lists of gifts are super long. And so I only have a couple of minutes for each gift as we're sharing on a Sunday morning. In retrospect, I wish we had broken them up a little bit, but we have put the booklets together. We got the life groups happening with them. So we're gonna stick with this plan, but I'm gonna open the fire hose on you right now and just share a fair amount of information in a fairly quick amount of time. So we're not gonna go as in depth to each gift as I would like, um, but we do have a booklet, a study guide available at the hub, which will help you go deeper. Uh, our life groups will help you go deeper as well. If you're not in a life group, you can still jump into one. Uh, again, if you missed any messages, you can catch up online. So we're just going to go through these one by one. So let's start with wisdom. Now, wisdom in the Bible is uh, typically talked about as a character quality, not a spiritual gift. It's something that uh, everybody can aspire to. It's something that we can all grow in. Uh, the book of Proverbs certainly unpacks wisdom and how do we grow in wisdom. And, and it is all of those things. Uh, however, you also don't need to be a Christian to be wise, necessarily, right? There have been many uh, throughout history. You maybe have people in your life who are not uh, Christians in any way. They might be a hardcore atheist, but they've got good life experience, and they've been through some things, and they have a wise way of looking at the world. So obviously, when we're talking about wisdom as a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit, we're talking about it on a bit of a different level than that. There is a human wisdom that we, we can participate in, which is good. There is a life experience wisdom. Uh, which is good to grow in. There is a common sense wisdom uh, that we can understand, and that is good. But then there is what Paul actually writes. It's not wisdom, but the message of wisdom or the word of wisdom, that there is a revelation of wisdom from heaven that can come. In Acts chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, uh, Stephen is in trouble. Stephen is an early believer. He's been sharing that Jesus is alive. There's lots of persecution happening. And the Word of God says, Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen. So Jewish people are coming to persecute him. But it says they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. They just, they, whatever accusation they brought, whatever they were challenging him with, however they were coming against him, the Holy Spirit was giving him wisdom that was just unquestionable. Uh, so this isn't just man-made wisdom, because man-made wisdom we can debate about. This isn't just common sense wisdom. The Spirit is giving him wisdom that is allowing him to answer in ways that is confounding the critics. And so a simple definition of wisdom, of all the gifts, wisdom was a hard one to define simply. Uh, but we put it this way, the understanding of what is right from heaven's perspective. And that's important, because the New Testament says there is a wisdom that comes from heaven, and it is different than earthly wisdom. So earthly wisdom, again, it's our common sense, it's our life experience, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But God's wisdom is not always the same as our wisdom. So Peter is sitting in a boat one day, and he sees Jesus walking on the water, and Jesus says, come on out and walk with me. Now common sense, life experience, human wisdom says you stay in the boat, right? Humans don't do that. But heaven's wisdom is not always the same as, as earthly wisdom. And heaven's wisdom was, trust in Jesus, come on out. And he did. And for a moment at least, he had an experience that probably none of us has had of walking on the water. In human wisdom, 
a man crucified on a cross for being a criminal is not someone you aspire to be like. That's not someone you hold up as an example in human common sense wisdom. But heaven's wisdom is different. In heaven's wisdom, God was pleased, Scripture says, to use what seems foolish to the world in order to confound the wise, to glorify his name, to show his ways in a new and different way. So God's wisdom and, and human wisdom isn't always the same thing. There's a revelation that can come from the Spirit that shows us what is right from heaven's perspective. And I think you've all probably experienced this, and it's something I think we can all engage in. I've, we've had times where, you know, our kids are two years old, and profound wisdom comes out of their mouths, and you go, wow, that was, oof, that was, that was good. Wow, my kids are amazing. That's incredible. So there's a wisdom that can come on anyone at any time. Uh, some of us perhaps are maybe more tuned into heaven's wisdom than others, and it marks us maybe a bit more as a spiritual gift, but but you've maybe had experiences like this where, you know, we'll be at a staff meeting and we'll be weighing something out and everybody's weighing in and it's all good. Like there's nothing wrong and, and common sense and lots of stuff happening. And then as we're sharing and trying to come to this decision, say Pastor Mesh says, well, what about this? And it just sounds different. You just go, huh, right. That's everything has been good, but that one was different. We just maybe not using this language, but we just tapped into, that's heaven's wisdom there. It just feels different. Uh, there's something that settles differently. You just know that it's right. And so you've all probably experienced it in that sense. Um, it's a gift. Again, everyone can be wise. Everyone can grow in wisdom. Some of us perhaps just tap into the, the heavenly perspective of what is right and what is good uh, a little more easily. A little bit like that is knowledge. Again, it's not just knowledge, but the message of knowledge. And so uh, some people teach on this gift in the sense of knowledge is just knowing things, that, that the Holy Spirit just helps you understand your Bible better and helps you understand God better. And that may be a part of it, but again, you don't need to be a Christian to have some knowledge about the Bible. Richard Dawkins is a famous atheist, and he calls himself an evangelical atheist. He's trying to pull people away from Jesus, and, and that's, that's what he's doing with his life. Uh, and he's a scientist, and he's very hard on Christianity, very hard on the Bible. Uh, and he knows his Bible really well. He has read it a lot. And so he knows the stories, and he knows what is said about God, and he knows the teachings of Jesus. Uh, he has the information. But whenever I've heard him speak on it, uh, and he's a brilliant man, like he's a, a world-renowned scientist, when he talks about the Bible, I go, oh, wow, he doesn't really get it at all. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's got the, the text right. He's got the information. But he doesn't really have knowledge of the Bible. And, and Scripture says to understand the Bible at all, the Holy Spirit has to open our eyes. We can't do it on our own. In our human understanding, we can't get our head around it. The Holy Spirit shows us what this really means. So there is a Holy Spirit knowledge in that sense. But there's another level of this, and, and there's a story in Matthew 9, 4. Uh, Jesus is being confronted by some critics, and it says, Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? And so they haven't said or done anything yet, but Jesus has knowledge that he couldn't have just as a man on his own. He is, essentially, he's reading their minds. He is knowing what is going on in their hearts. And so the message of knowledge, uh, we're just going to define this way, receiving insight that one couldn't have on their own. Just knowing things you couldn't possibly know by yourself. And so you could argue, as some do, that it's a bit of a branch of the prophetic, where the Holy Spirit uh, brings us insight. But we, we just have understanding of things we couldn't possibly know. Uh, God just shows us things. Jesus was able to know what was going on in their minds and their hearts. Um, that's a gift that is available to us as well. 
So the, the most extreme uh, way, the, the, one of the strongest gifts I've ever seen in this particular area, came from my father and I going to a conference, and there were lots of different speakers there, but there was one speaker one night, and he had a healing ministry, and we'll come back to healing in a second. But he was there, and so we had our worship time, and it was powerful, and he preached from the Word for a few minutes, and it was powerful. And then he said, uh, we're just going to pray for healing for some things. We'll pray for anybody tonight who needs healing, but there's a few specific things that I feel like God wants to do tonight. And the Spirit had given him knowledge. Just he had understanding and insight that he couldn't have had on his own. And it was at such a level, I'm not exaggerating this, at one point he said, there's a woman here tonight, you're in your 40s, and when you were 12, you fell off a horse and you broke something in your back, and even though you're better, it didn't heal quite right, so you're just in agonizing back pain a lot of the time, and, and the doctors can't do anything about it. But if that's you, come on forward, and this woman stands, like, how in the world? She starts sobbing instantly and comes up to the front, and you could tell she was walking weird, and they prayed for her and, and took some time to pray for that. But that's, I mean, that's knowledge he can't have on his own. And I've shared that story before, and some, some people, the cynic rises up, and they say, well, she was a plant, right? Or, or he overheard her talking or whatever. So here's the next thing that happened, just so you know that that wasn't the case. As he was sharing, he said, uh, there's seven people here. I believe there's seven people, and you have rib pain, and God wants to touch your rib pain tonight. And so if that's you, come on forward. And sure enough, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and one of them was my father. And so if you know my dad, my dad was a financial planner, retired now. He's as left-brain, critical, analytical in his approach to things as there could possibly be. He's not caught up in hyper-emotion or anything. But he had had rib pain for a long time, and so he came forward for prayer. And so uh, the minister is praying for the people, and things are happening, and people are saying, my pain is gone, and, and awesome stuff is going on. Uh, this is the part, I'll confess, I don't fully understand. But he gets to my father, and as he's about to pray for my dad's rib pain, he says, ah, he just looks at him for a second. And he says, I don't know how to tell you this, but I just felt like the Lord said, it's not about your rib pain tonight, it's about your tooth pain. He wants to touch your tooth pain tonight. And my dad had had tooth pain for a long time, and the dentist couldn't fix it. Uh, and so my dad said, okay. And so he prayed for him, and the tooth pain went away, and it never came back again. And so I don't know why that wasn't about the rib pain in that night, but I just show that as an example of how the message of knowledge can look. Now, that is a gift that is very well developed and, and practiced and trained, and so that's maybe the extreme end of what it can look like. But if we really believe that the Holy Spirit knows everything, then why wouldn't we believe that he could share some of this stuff with us? That guy was a stranger to us. We didn't know him. Uh, he didn't know my dad. He didn't know our story. He didn't know anything. There's no way he could have known my dad had rib pain or tooth pain, uh, but there was this incredible Holy Spirit moment that made us go, that could only have been God. There's no way that could have happened in any other way. Moving on, gift of faith. We all have faith. That is something we all are gifted by God, and faith is not something that we stir up or we make happen. It comes to us as a gift, and for some of us, we just maybe have the gift a little more than others. Scripture says we can't come to Jesus without faith. Even that faith comes to us as a gift of God. And some of us, and I imagine you probably know some people in your life like this, their faith level just seems constant. It just keeps, seems solid. And it doesn't matter necessarily if they're having a good season or a bad season, if life is amazing or if life is difficult. There are some people that just their trust in God is just solid. 
So in Acts chapter 14, we have this story. Uh, Paul is ministering. It says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And so a simple definition of the gift of faith would be the ability to trust in God regardless of circumstances. Like, if you've literally never walked in your lifetime, that's a, a pretty significant amount of faith to say, well, I believe in the name of Jesus, I can get up and walk right now, and then to do it, right? And, and it's not that that man, you know, sat there and made that happen himself, because faith comes to us as a gift. And so if we have people who are far from Jesus in our lives, one of our main prayers should be, Father, give them the faith. Release the faith to them that their eyes can be open, that they can see Jesus as he is. The ability to trust in God regardless of circumstances. That doesn't mean that there's never a moment of doubt. I think everybody uh, has moments of doubt sometimes. And uh, again, in the stream that I grew up in, Pentecostal charismatic, doubt was treated uh, really almost as a sin. Like if you, if you were saying, oh, I don't know why God's not doing this, uh, you could get a lot of guilt and condemnation put on you for, for speaking words of death over yourself or for, uh, for not trusting God enough or whatever, and we can take on this guilt. And yet when I read the Gospels and I, I see the stories there, you know, here's Peter in a moment of doubt denying Christ, and the next time Jesus sees him, Jesus forgives and restores him right away, even though he had this doubtful moment. John the Baptist, who, who saw Jesus anointed and sent out on his ministry, finds himself in jail and saying, I don't know if Jesus is who he said he was. Why is the Messiah coming, not changing my circumstances? And Jesus deals gently with him in that moment. And so we never judge anyone who has a moment of doubt. Now, we don't want to stay in doubt. We are always wanting to move towards faith. But, uh, but faith comes to us as a gift, and it doesn't mean there's never a moment of doubt. But we need those people in our lives whose faith just is at a higher level, right? And, and I hope you're thinking about people in your life as I say that. Uh, people who you know who are just solid, regardless of circumstance, and inspiring in the level that they trust God. And those are good people to have pray for you when you're in a place where uh, doubt is there or when your circumstances aren't where you would like them to be. Moving on to healing. We honor doctors here. This is not a church where we say you should never go to a doctor. You should never take medicine. At the same time, as I say that, we would say we ultimately honor Jesus as Lord. So even as you're going to the doctor and taking medicine, we are seeking him first and foremost as our healer. And we are incredibly grateful for the country we live in, for the time in which we live in, uh, the miraculous abilities, really, that God has given to humanity to, to fight diseases and to, to solve certain things and, and to move technology forward. Uh, it's incredible. The time we live in is incredible. There are so many times when I talk to people who are sick and the thought process is, 80 years ago, you would just be dead now. Like, the things that we have progressed in uh, is just miraculous. And so we believe doctors and nurses and medicine is one of the gifts that God has given to humanity for our good. We believe that that is a gift of God. That being said, in the Bible, there is also healing that happens separate from human intervention. There is, there is something that happens that could only be divine. So Luke 440 is one of many, many, many examples. Uh, it says, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. And that is something we see over and over and over again. It's something we see in the book of Acts, because when Jesus was leaving this earth, he said, I'm going, but the Holy Spirit's coming, and my work is going to continue. You guys are going to keep doing the things that I've been doing. 
Uh, that's not going to stop just because I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit's going to do everything through you guys this time. You've watched me now. I'm leaving, but now you're going to go out and do that stuff. And so these healings happen uh, throughout the Gospels and the Book of Acts and the New Testament. A simple definition, seeing God's power restore health. And that's not that God's power does not work through doctors and through treatment and through surgery. Certainly, we see God's power in those moments as well. Uh, we don't want to take away anything from that. But there are also times where God just heals on his own. And some of us have a heart to see that happen, and some of us are praying for that to happen. But as we are considering that, uh, just a couple of stories of where I've seen this happen in different ways in my life. When we were at our last church, we had a man who uh, was newer to the church, and I am afraid I don't remember the, the details of it, but he had a degenerating eye disease of some kind. His eyes were getting worse and worse and worse. And so he came up to the altar for prayer after the service one Sunday, and he said, uh, I'm having this operation tomorrow, and so can we just pray that the operation goes really well? And so the person was praying for them and told me afterwards, we prayed that, you know, Lord, guide the hands of the surgeon and, and be in this process and be in the recovery and all the rest. But then they just threw in there, and you know what, Lord, what would be even better is if he didn't need the operation at all, if you just healed him. Because why not pray for that, right? Why not? If God is the God of heaven and earth, if he holds power of all things in his hand, life and death, why not cry out to him for specifically what he could do? And so, Lord, if, if it would be even better, and we'll rejoice no matter what, right? Like, we will trust you no matter what. So we prayed that. The next day, the man went to the hospital. He's getting ready for his surgery. The surgeon is there. They do one last check before they put him under, and they're about to do what they're going to do. And the surgeon says, huh. He says, your eye is getting better. Like, it wasn't fixed, but it's better than it was two weeks ago when we set up the surgery. And he said, all right, well, I'm, I'm not going to do the surgery today. Come back in two weeks, and we'll see where you're at. And so the man came back in two weeks, and the eye was better. The surgery was not needed. Uh, healing had happened in the name of Jesus at the hand of God. I have a minor story in my own life. I broke my elbow a number of years ago, and it was badly broken. And uh, I had a surgery on it, and then that didn't do what it needed to do, so I had to have a second surgery on it. And after it was all done, my, my orthopedic surgeon said, oh, the elbow is the most painful thing ever to break. It's the worst of all the bones you can break. It's the trickiest one. It's such a weird joint. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's good, because it hurt a lot, and everyone thought I was being whiny. But it, that was a painful season. And, and I'm right-handed, and it was my right, so it was very, your arm swells up for, you know, months, and I couldn't type and everything. And, um, but as, uh, as it was getting better after the surgery, uh, I was meeting with the doctor, and the doctor said, now you're going to have to do physio for this, or else it'll, it'll kind of lock up forever and the scar tissue and everything. So you're going to have to jump into physio. It's going to be probably six months, and he said it's going to be really painful. Like it's going to be, you're going to have to come in, you know, three times a week, and you're going to have to do stuff at home, and it's going to be brutal, but it's going to be good. Like it's going to be for your good. At the end, we want all your motion back and everything. And so that's, I mean, I was so thankful that we live in a country where that can happen, and we have knowledge of how we can do that. And again, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, I would have just been probably locked up forever. And so we know things now, and, and God bless doctors and all of their insight. In my prayer time, and I came up to the altar every Sunday, and I just said, Lord, I don't, if you, if there's a way that doesn't have to happen for six months, or hey, maybe even at all, uh, that would be wonderful. And again, I'll praise you and all of it, but if you can, if you could do that, that would be, I believe that you can. And so I went to see the doctor a week or two later, and we were getting ready to, to make the plan for the physio. And as she was doing her examination, she's feeling around, and she's moving my arm, and she's going, huh, huh, all right. 
and she's doing things, and I'm going, what's going on? And she said, you know, this feels pretty good. And, and then what she said that's like seared in my memory, because it's such a testimony to Jesus, she said, it's almost as if any physio you needed to happen has already happened in your elbow. And I said, that's right. <laughs> and she said, what does that mean? I said, well, we were praying for it. And she went, ah, no, no, that's, that's, uh, I don't think they're that, always that interested, a non-Christian doctor in that part of it. But um, so again, just a minor example. And, and when it comes to healing, of course, the question, why not more, right? Why, why do we hear these stories, but they're rare? Why? And I don't really have a good answer to that. But I know when I read the Gospels and I read the book of Acts, the people who got healing went charging after Jesus. They went charging after the apostles, right? It's a lady saying, I just got to touch his robe. It's friends lowering their friend through the roof. Like they weren't just sitting back and kind of saying, well, maybe if he feels like it. Like they, they pursued God. And when it comes to healing, we'll talk about miracles in a second. Uh, these things happen. They absolutely happen. In the name of Jesus, these things happen. And I want to see them happen more. And I think we should see them happen more. But I think part of it is the Bible says, you know, if you hunger and thirst, you'll be filled. And I'm just not always sure how hungry we are in our culture today. I don't know how badly we really want to see that. Where are we really praying for this stuff? Are we pressing into God? God says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not just where are we sprinkling Jesus into our busy, 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 busy lives. Whenever we talk on a Sunday morning, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? How was your week? Busy, 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 busy. Everything's busy all the time. And where are we pressing into the healer? Where are we pressing in to the one who has the power of all things in his hand? Where are we making room for that? And so as we weigh out that, there's a lot to it and more than we can say today. But uh, I want to see healings happen more than they do. I don't want it to be just an occasional thing that we experience from time to time. I saw as a teenager, I was far from Jesus. My dad dragged me to a tent meeting because Pentecostals love tent meetings. And so a church would literally rent a big tent and bring in a, a speaker. And they'd have a week of what they call revival meetings. And, uh, and this guy had a healing ministry. And I was 14 or 15. And I didn't want to go. But my dad said, no, you're, you're coming. And uh, even as a teenager. Your dad is still dad, right? And I'm so thankful in retrospect for my parents. I was far from Jesus. I knew all the stuff. I believed in God in a general way, but uh, they made sure they kept Jesus in front of my life, even though I couldn't have cared less. They made sure that I was at church. They made sure that I was coming to things like this, and, and it took me a while to come to Jesus myself, uh, but they made sure that Jesus was always there, and the power of God was always demonstrated, including on this day. So my dad, I think, just knew that God might do amazing things that night, and it might have an impact on his non-believing son. And so this man had a healing ministry, this revival meeting guy, and there was a few things I saw with my eyes, but one of the things, there was a little boy who was four, and his arm was kind of twisted and withered like this. He'd been born that way. And the man said, all right, every, all the young people, all the teenagers, come here. He wanted all the, you know, the cynical atheists to come. Gather around and, and just watch this. And prayed for this boy in the name of Jesus. And I saw with my eyes his arms stretch out, and, and he's moving it, and just stuff. Like, it, it didn't go back. Like, he, it was, and everyone was, you know, cheering and praising Jesus, and it, again, it had an impact. It took me a while yet, but, uh, but these things are happening. We have seen these things happen, and I have personally seen some of these things happen. I don't know why we don't see it more, but I am hopeful that we will 
start to see that more as we get serious about our pursuit of God, as we get serious about prayer, as we get serious about praying for one another. Uh, the people I know who have seen healings are up at the altar every single week saying, today might be my day. It's not just, oh, I'll just pray at home or in the car. It's like, no, why walk away? If you have a health problem today, why would you ever walk away from somebody saying, I'd love to pray for God to heal that today? And maybe it's not today, but why, why would you walk away from that? It's available. Prayer is available, and prayer is powerful and effective. Moving on to miraculous powers. Uh, Hebrews 2.4, talking about the gospel, says, God testified to this gospel by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. There are those gifts showing up again. The gifts testify. The demonstration of the Spirit's power testifies that this gospel is real. They testify that Jesus is alive, that the Bible is true. These gifts are so important. And so God works healings through Jesus, and obviously healings are a miracle when they happen in the way that they happen. Jesus also does other things of, of controlling weather and walking on the water and multiplying fish and loaves and driving out demons. So there's other things that are uh, what we would say are miraculous. And as they are miraculous, they can only be God at work, right? Because humans can't do those things on their own. So a simple definition would be releasing God's intervention beyond what is natural. Because again, there's a certain amount of things we can just do on our own as humans with our, our drive and our, our talents and our ingenuity. Uh, we can accomplish a lot. There are certain things that happen that only God could accomplish. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you believe in miracles. You have to, to be a follower of Jesus. Because the entire premise of what we believe is that God came down and walked amongst us as a man, died and rose from the dead and returned to heaven. That's miraculous. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you believe in miracles. Now, believing that you'll see a miracle in your particular life tomorrow when you're at the store is a little bit harder, maybe, because, uh, you know, to trust in Jesus in heaven is, is maybe a bit easier than trusting I'll see a miracle here right now. But I, when I was in school, I had to read a book double book, a double volume set, and it was just called Miracles by Keener, and I'm not recommending it to you because it was really thick and, and kind of dense, but this big two-volume set, and this guy who was an academic had, the first book kind of said, uh, basically, here's an argument for why miracles are for today, because some streams of the church don't believe they exist anymore, and then the second volume was him just gathering evidence of miracles around the world. And he had a pretty strict criteria. It couldn't just be one person said this happened. There had to be witnesses. Preferably, there had to be verifiable data. And he has some of that as well. Here's the x-ray of the broken bone. And then they prayed. And here's the x-ray a week later of the bone completely restored. So there's some of that in there. Uh, and they just had this story full, this book full, of these different verified stories of what we would say have to be miracles. There's a child who died here in South America. Here's the death certificate. And yet this child is alive and living today because they prayed hands and there was a resurrection of this life. If we believe in the Bible, that shouldn't be that crazy for us, right? Because we believe Jesus is alive. And we believe that he raised the dead and we believe that the apostles did as well. Again, big questions. Why do we not see this more? And I don't have a simple answer to that. It is something I wrestle through. But if it is one of the gifts that is available, I think we should be seeking it. I'll just throw that out there. If God has the power to do these things. I don't know why we wouldn't want to see that happen more and more. And so, quick story. I've shared this story here before of something like that. When we were at our church in Amherstburg, uh, there was a couple there, Jack and Jerry. They were dairy farmers in Essex. And he'd been doing it his whole life. He was born in that farmhouse and, and took it over for his dad when his dad got older. And so this was like multi-generations. And I just say that today, he knew what he was doing. He knew his stuff. 
And there was a year where the fields flooded. There had just been torrential rain all summer, and the fields flooded, and so they have a dairy herd. Uh, mostly what they grow is hay, because the hay has to feed the cows, and as the cows are well-fed, the cows produce the milk, which is how they make all their money. And so, long story short, the whole hay crop got ruined. Everything on the fields just soaked and started to rot. And so all the other farmers in the area were in kind of the same boat, and so there wasn't any hay you could buy from your neighbor, and so they made arrangements to buy hay. Eventually it was going to come from overseas, but that was going to take a couple of months to get there, and cows need to eat every day, right, like humans. And so he's in trouble here. And so he went into his barn, and he had a little bit of hay left, and he went and did his count of the bales of hay and how much he was going to need each day. You can't lessen the ration at all, because if the cows don't get all their food, then they don't produce enough milk. So they had to get their full ration of hay every day. And so as he is looking at his hay and doing his count, he goes, oh, there's enough hay here for 10 days. 10 days, and my hay is going to run out. It's going to take a couple of months for more hay to get here. And if you know Jack, Jack, there's nothing about Jack that is... Um, you know, flighty or overly emotional. He's a very strong man. He's a very simple, down-to-earth, simple, childlike faith. And so he stood in his barn that day and said, Lord, I know there is a story in your Gospels of a boy who only had a few fish and a few loaves, and you stretched that miraculously to feed the multitudes. And you, I believe the Bible says, you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And so I am going to trust somehow that you're going to work this out. Somehow you're going to make this happen. And so the next day came, and he went, and he got the normal hay ration. He went, he fed his cows, and the next day he did that again, and he did it the day after that. And as he got closer to the 10 days, he began to notice that there's still a fair bit of hay left. And so he took the full ration, and he went back over and over and over again, and he said, I didn't want to do a count of the bales of hay anymore because I thought that might, you know, be a sign of doubt or something. I wanted to, like— as time went on, I realized something amazing was happening. And so the hay that should have run out after 10 days lasted for 90 days. And by that point, more had come in from other places, and everything was fine. And again, I've told that story, and the cynical side kicks, oh, maybe he miscounted, or this or that. And I go, well, yeah, that's, that's possible. But if you knew the man, uh, even if he miscounted by half, it's still, that would be 20 days, right? Not 90. And so, uh, so I just share that story uh, as, a, as a small sign of the types of things that God can still do. If we believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, on a much less dramatic story than that, Sarah and I have had times where uh, there's just more money at the end of the month in the account than there should be. And it doesn't make any sense that we, sp we bought everything that we should have and everything was there, but there's just more there than there should be. And, and so uh, whether it's big or small, we do believe that miracles happen. And, and again, if we want to see them, we probably should start seeking them. If we want to be walking in that, we should be praying for that. The gift of prophecy, I'm not going to say anything about just in the interest of time. We have covered that well. Uh, this is determining what the Lord is saying and sharing it. And we did a week just on prophecy. If you missed it, you can go back and have a listen to that. Distinguishing between spirits. Uh, this gift is a bit uh, tricky to define, and uh, 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
And so some define this gift as there are certain people who know, uh, they see angels and demons, and they know the demons' names, and they know what angels you're supposed to cry out to God for in certain situations, and, and I suppose that may be a part of it. There's actually a way simpler application to this, and I think many of you probably have this gift, even if you uh, don't really uh, know the language behind it. But really, the gift is discernment. That really is what the gift is about. And so a simple definition would be discerning what is of God, what is of the enemy, what is of the flesh, what is of the world. As we live this Christian life, there are all kinds of what John calls spirits. Uh, we might call them voices, even. There are just all kinds of voices vying for our attention. There is the Holy Spirit who we're trying to hear and follow. Our own flesh, our own preferences, our own desires are loud in our minds. There's an enemy who's sowing fear and confusion and anxiety. The world is there trying to lure us into sin and into temptation. So there's all kinds of voices vying for our attention. And some of us are gifted, especially, to be able to determine what is what. To be able to say, like, wow, there's a lot of fear in me right now, and, and it's not a good godly fear. That is, that is the enemy at work. Or to say when you're talking to someone, hey, that actually sounds like, like the Lord. That sounds like Holy Spirit wisdom as you share that with me. And so distinguishing between spirits, John says not everything we hear is from God. Uh, not every, you know, part of our interaction with people is good and godly. But people with the distinguishing between spirits gift have the ability to discern and determine what is God, what is not, what is the enemy, what's just me. And we have the ability to discern and, and ideally, of course, trying to pick out where's the voice and the leading of the Lord in all of this. And so some of us are gifted at being able to tell that difference. The gift of tongues, we're just about done. This is maybe the weirdest gift of all these gifts, and maybe the most fascinating gift. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, it's the birthday of the church, and the Holy Spirit falls with power on the believers as they are waiting and praying. And it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so when we talk about speaking in other tongues, what we mean is people speaking in an unknown human or heavenly language. Speaking in a language that you don't know. And so in Acts chapter 2, they start speaking in other languages, and, and they're languages that they don't know, but there are people in Jerusalem at the time who know those languages, and they hear them, and they say, wow, these people are declaring glory to God in, in our own language, the languages that they don't know. And so that is one way, but Paul also talks about uh, there are tongues of angels as well. There are tongues that are, are not a human language, but a heavenly language, what Pentecostals would call a prayer language. And so the gift of tongues comes for a couple of reasons. One is it can go this way in terms of being a blessing to other people. If I speak in a language that I don't know, uh, but you can understand it, then you know that's God speaking, right? Because I can't do that on my own. Um, it can come in a heavenly language with an interpretation. We'll get to interpretation in a second. But it can also go as prayer. It's prayer that we offer up to God. And it's the Holy Spirit really praying through us in a language we don't understand. What's amazing and powerful about this gift is that I don't always know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, knows the deep things of God because He is God. He knows the mind of God. He knows the prayers that God is looking for. He knows what needs to be spoken out in any particular situation. And so if I pray in tongues, I am praying perfect prayers every time. And the miraculous part is I don't know what I'm praying. It's a language that I don't know. And so the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, I wish you all spoke in tongues. 
He said, I'd rather have you prophesy if we're picking gifts. But he said, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. And so uh, I don't think everybody does. I don't think everyone uh, has this gift necessarily. But it is a beautiful and powerful way to connect with God. And so it can come to our brothers and sisters, either in their own language or with an interpretation to bless them. It can be part of your own prayer communion with God. Uh, both are good things. So if you remember when Terry Bone was here back in September, he shared a story. And we ended up not putting it on the internet because it was he was overseas and he was in a sensitive place and so he didn't want to put anyone in danger but he was in a foreign country uh, it's a dangerous place for christians and and so he was in a rural village nobody spoke english there so he's teaching a group of Christians uh, with an interpreter. The interpreter was speaking the local language. And as he's doing that, as he comes to the end, he feels like we need to pray for anyone who wants to have the gift of tongues. He felt like the Lord put that in his heart. And so one man came forward, and as they pray for him to receive the gift of tongues, uh, he who has never done this before ever speaks in English. A man who doesn't speak English speaks in English, and Terry said, without an accent, like without the accent that would be typical of English speakers in this country. Uh, and it was a prayer that he was praying to God, but it was also an encouragement to Terry. There was something in the prayer uh, that Terry had been praying into. And so that's how the gift can work in a, in a human language situation. There's also the gift that comes with interpretation. And so if you are interested in this gift, again, my heart is the apostle's heart. Hey, I wish you all spoke in tongues. It's an amazing gift. It is an amazing way to connect with God. And so if you are interested in this gift, by all means, pray for it. Seek it. Uh, read about it in the Bible. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 14 about it a lot. And as you do that, um, here's what Pentecostals do to help people understand this. Because the weird thing about this gift, what's tricky about this one, is that there's a bit of an intellectual wrestling match that goes on, right? Because you say, I can't speak a language I don't know. That's stupid. And, and we'd say, well, you don't need to be so negative. It's not stupid. It's just the way God has gifted this particular thing. Um, to be able to, to get your head around the idea that it's not like the Holy Spirit comes upon you and all of a sudden words are just pouring out that you can't control. I think the hardest part about this gift is, is helping people understand you still have to open your mouth. You still have to project a sound. Like, you still have to do the talking. So it's no different than when I've prepared a sermon and I've poured prayer and effort into it. I still have to open my mouth and say the words. It's not like the Holy Spirit just comes upon me and all this gold comes flying out at you. It's I have to, to speak, and I have to choose the words that I speak. And so, again, this is the intellectual wrestling match about tongues, is that how do words I don't know come out of my mouth? And so one of the things we would say in the Pentecostal church, if you're looking for this gift, is pray into it and, and see if, if it's something that, that your heart desires. And if it is, go to the place in your life where you feel close to God whether that's in worship music or in the Word or outdoors or whatever, but find a place where you just feel close to Him and be in a place of prayer and just start to speak uh, a syllable over and over again, like la, 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 la. And that's just to get your mouth talking, uh, a, a word that you don't understand. And then just see if other words come to mind, if other sounds sort of rise up. It's a bit of an abstract gift to be sure, but as other sounds come, let those sounds out. And sometimes people say, well, how will I know if it's tongues or just gibberish? And, and my really scientific answer is, you'll know. You'll know the difference. 
because I can stand here and go blah, 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 and you go, well, that doesn't sound like anything overly spiritual, but to speak in tongues, you'll, you'll feel the nearness of God in that moment. So if you're interested, that's a good way to seek it. Last one, and we're just about done. Thank you for being patient. The other side of this, the interpretation of tongues. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about public worship settings specifically. He says, if I don't grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, the speaker is a foreigner to me. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. And so if I speak in perfect Spanish, uh, which is a language I don't speak, then Pastor Xavier is here, and he could interpret that because he understands Spanish as his initial language. But if I'm speaking in a heavenly language that nobody knows, it's the language of angels, then we need someone to interpret. So some people are gifted that way. They have the ability to translate an unknown language into our own language. So this would happen in the Pentecostal church all the time, where, uh, for example, one time in Sudbury, we were in the worship service. I was at the front. I was not feeling great about the message that day. I was kind of nervous about it. I wasn't sure if I'd heard right and if we were going in the right direction. And so in the musical worship, there's a pause, and someone over here calls out in a language that none of us know. And so uh, they just call out in that way. And again, if you read through Corinthians, you'll see how this gift is supposed to function. And so we pause there for a moment, and then a woman over here says, this is what I believe that was. This is what I believe the Lord was saying. And in talking to her afterwards, she said it was the weirdest thing. It sounds like gibberish, but inside I just knew what that meant. I just knew. And so she said, this is what the Lord meant. And she shared it. And honestly, it was my sermon. It was my sermon that I was worried about. And it was not anything I didn't know that was going to happen. They didn't know what I was preaching about. But when I got up to share, I said, now this is going to sound really familiar. And, and it's going to just be a sign that the Holy Spirit is, is orchestrating some things here. When there's a demonstration of the Spirit's power, you can't deny that God is at work. Come on up, worship team. We're just about ready to wrap up here. All right. Well, again, I opened the fire hose on you and blasted you with a whole lot of information about many gifts, and we didn't go as deep into any of them as I would have liked, but we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you have questions, we would love to chat about it. Your study guides this week will take you deeper into this stuff. Your life groups will go deeper as well, so there'll be lots of time to chat about that. In the book of Acts, where they saw these gifts functioning a lot and where they saw the church exploding in every way, uh, the apostles get together in Acts chapter 4, and this is their prayer. Now, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And God was faithful to do it. And so as they prayed, they said, God, we want to see you do things here. We want to see a manifestation of the Spirit's power. We want to see the demonstration of how God works through these gifts. That was just the expectation of church back then. They weren't expecting a slick program or, or so many of the things that we emphasize today. They said, we want to see the Holy Spirit move. And that's my heart. We want to see the Holy Spirit move in and through Meadowbrook Church. And of course he is. He is moving in so many different ways. But I read these gifts and I read Acts and I go, oh, as much as he's blessing us now, I know there's more to this. I know there is more available. I know there is more that has been common to Christians throughout history that isn't common to us yet. And so will we be willing to pray for this to happen? Will we be willing to press into God for this stuff? And we're going to sing a song now called Holy Spirit. We sing it here often, and we're going to sing it as our prayer, as our closing prayer. And the heart of it is just, Lord, there's nothing more we want than your presence. There's nothing more we want than you being here with us. We want to see you move.
So would you stand to your feet with me, please, and join us as we sing.